We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Sean Azaro, and you are listening to the Reaching for Real Life podcast. Podcasting from the Reaching for Real Life amphitheater, Pastor Sean, we, we're in a studio now. Did you see that? <laughs> yes. It's, it's yes. getting better every time we come. It is. The next level. Tell me what happened. It, you it is. We, we, we got in here today. Okay, we're in one of the amphitheater green rooms. That's where we set up. No air conditioning. Kind of, it, well, I mean, oh. if we didn't, if it wasn't oh. just a little wall, <laughs> wall unit, unit. <laughs> you know, we could, yeah, exactly, it would ruin the podcast. <laughs> but so we're in this room and we come up and our facilities guys, uh, George Ebarb, Joel Orman, and our team here at River City, great, great guys, they put up a yeah. little on air light. Love and it's, it. it's real. It's not, I thought, I thought at first it was a little joke or a little kind of, oh, that's cool. They labeled the th- this room as the studio. Yeah. They can change that when we have concerts and things, but it's a studio. And there's a switch, a real light switch inside. You turn it on, and it's a red on recording air. light on air. And so they know to be a little more quiet outside. That's yeah. just awesome. Hey, Sean, we got a good show. Oh, we have a great show. I still. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, Wow. Cool, huh? Baron's got game, and he knows people. Let's just say Baron knows people. <laughs> okay, you can say that. Okay. I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he got us an interview with Todd Starnes, and it was a great. We got to have a conversation with Todd, and mm-hmm. what a cool, cool interview that was. Yeah. He's a really neat guy. So we are going to have uh, an interview now with Todd Starnes. He's a national radio host. He's a believer. He's a Fox News guy, but he has some really interesting things to say about what we're going through as a country. So uh, I won't drag it out anymore. Here's an interview with Todd Starnes. On the Reaching for Real Life podcast. That's right. Last note, Larry. <laughs> well, we are very, very privileged and grateful to have national radio host Todd Starnes. He's the host of the Todd Starnes Show. He's a Fox News contributor, radio commentator. Todd, thank you so much for being with us. It means a lot. Well, it's an honor to be with you. Thank you very much, Pastor. Well, one of the things that Barron, when he introduced us, you know, Barron's background in radio is we get to meet so many of these neat people through those relationships. He shared with us that you are a, a committed Christ follower. You're a believer, and that that's a big part of you know everything that you do. H- how did you become a believer? Was that something you grew up in? And tell us a little bit about your faith story as we get started. Yeah, it's it's a huge part of what I do. As a matter of fact, my my faith flavor. Uh, you know, every, you know my world of view and and how I approach you know commenting and commentating on the, the news of the day. Now, I grew up in um, in, a, in a Christian home. I was um, uh, my parents uh, joined the Southern Baptist faith tradition, and so uh, I got saved and walked the aisle of the Baptist church and got baptized in a small pond in Vihalia, Mississippi, which is a, <laughs> a little just um, one stop town, or at least it was back in those days. And uh, just grew up in the church and going to church training union and um, listening to, you know, I'm a huge contemporary Christian music and Southern gospel music band. So uh, I'm, it's always fun to be able to, 
to uh, cross paths with uh, with those folks as I uh, you know cover the news across the country. Oh yeah, you're the real deal. I mean, you got Southern gospel and contemporary and Christian <laughs> and striper. <laughs> I can work my way through the not only the Baptist temple but the old Redback Church temple. So oh, wow. Temple. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, as as a Christ follower, you know, and I mean, we understand how Jesus talked to us to us about engaging with the culture and about walking through life. How do you navigate as a political commentator the contentious world of politics and media? I mean, that is a challenge. How, mm. how do you approach that? Well, no doubt it is a challenge, and, and I don't get it right all the time. But uh, for me personally, I view everything through the lens of my faith. And I understand you know, the scripture tells us that we are, we are um, strangers in this world, aliens in this world. Mm. But at the same time, we do live in the world. And I believe that uh, we are called to be good citizens. We are to engage in the culture. Right. We are to engage in the political process. And so I really try to encourage people through my writings, really to inform people about what's happening in the culture, covering those stories that maybe the mainstream media does not cover but stories that are important because it sets the narrative for where we are going as, as a country. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. Uh, your, your book, uh, you wrote a book called cultural jihad, how to stop the left from killing a nation. What's interesting is as I look through the book and I haven't had a chance to read the whole book. I mean, we're just kind of, we're getting ready for this interview, but just seeing the titles you talk about, seeing the things you talk about, it, your book seems almost prophetic because you mm. wrote it like last fall. I mean, that's when it released, didn't it? Wasn't it sometime last mm-hmm. fall? Yeah. The book came out last fall and it was a, a bit of a provocative title, uh, culture jihad. I was watching, I guess, oh, months before the book, I had written the book. I was watching a 60 minute special on CBS about the Islamic radicals, and they had, I believe, invaded either Afghanistan or Iraq, and they immediately uh, targeted the cultural centers of those nations. And uh, there were images on television of these ancient um, statues of Buddha that were destroyed, turned to rubble. Paintings and pieces of art that were centuries old had been literally destroyed. And as I was watching this unfold on the television screen, I realized that in a way, this is exactly what's happening in our country, yeah. where the left is waging a bloodless jihad. So I call it a culture jihad, where they're targeting um, our books, uh, books like Little House on the Prairie, Huckleberry Finn, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, have been banned from some schools around our country. Uh, paintings, artwork have been uh, defiled. Of course, we've seen the statues coming down. And this effort to really erase our history and erase our culture, and that was really the uh, the impetus for writing a uh, culture jihad. Well, it's I first got a hold of the book, and it was after everything that has happened. It was recently, and so I'm looking. You talk about cancel culture. You talk about tearing down of statues. You talk about book bans. I'm like, oh, how did you get this thing out so fast? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this book is almost prophetic in that you released it last fall and then all this stuff happens. And it's like, I mean, as horrible as all this is for you, it's like, see, I told you so. <laughs> well, yes. And, and that's probably not Christ-like for me to say that. But yes, I you did. That I did. I'll <laughs> repent. I'll repent later. <laughs> <laughs> but Pastor, you know, you know, again, I was called a, a fear monger, um, and these are about, these are you know many evangelicals, and some evangelical radio stations and publications simply refused to talk about the book because they thought it was really overblown hyperbole, and it really turned out to be spot on, and and it wasn't 
you know, I guess you could say prophetic, but I was just reading the culture, following the stories yeah. and seeing where those stories were leading. And when you put all those stories together, you realize, oh, wait a second, this is how we got here. And I was intentional with the word leftist, how to stop the left from killing a nation. There are many good-natured liberals out there who are people of faith. They may disagree with me politically, but at the end of the day, they cherish the same freedoms that I cherish. Right. And we are starting to see in the culture many of those liberals waking up and realizing they are the victims of this so-called cancel culture, which is really a nice way of saying Marxism, because that's ultimately what this is. Yeah. And, and the point of the book is, if we do not take a stand together, we will fall as a country. And I think that's really setting up this battle of good versus evil for the, the 2020 presidential election. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about ideologies. Right. In, in the first few pages of your book, you quote a, a scripture, Leviticus 25.10. You say, proclaim liberty throughout the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. We're really talking about a liberty issue in some ways, aren't we? We are, and and I set the stage for that about two books ago, a book called Godless America, and I I wrote in in that book that religious liberty is our foundational freedom. You know, when our founding fathers were sitting around trying to figure out what freedoms we were going to get, religious liberty was number one, and and I do believe that because of that, that that one liberty sets us apart from every other country on the face of the earth. Yeah. And over the years, the, the leftists, the secularists, they've been able to chip away at religious liberty and weaken the foundation of the country. And as a result of that, many of our other freedoms have come under attack. And of course, we see that play out. I write these stories, I tell these stories in the book. One of my favorite chapters, I talk about how, um, how, you know, liberalism is like kudzu. Uh, one, and if you live in the <laughs> South, you know what kudzu is. Yes. Because, uh, one, once, once it grows, it doesn't stop, and it yeah. kills everything it touches. And so, and, and, and in a way, that's what liberalism is like. Mm. And uh, so I write about that in the book about how Mike Huckabee, a good friend of mine, and uh, you guys know Mike Huckabee, came under fire from the Country Music Association. They did not want him serving on a charitable board. And the reason why is because of his view on traditional marriage. And I thought to myself, they, they actually, that with the head of the, uh, the CMA Foundation said, someone like Mike Huckabee, we don't want somebody like that. I thought to myself, wow, have, you know, if you don't want somebody like Mike Huckabee, that means you don't want somebody like me. <laughs> right. And if, if that's the case, what in the world is going on where country music is no longer welcoming people who are gun-toting, Bible-clinging, uh, deplorable? <laughs> And and God bless him, Mike Huckabee's at the front of that list. That, no doubt. That that whole thing is, you know, um, I tell people sometimes that I'm, a, I'm like a one-issue voter, and it's, you know, not the one they think. My one issue is religious freedom, because I, I don't believe government can fix the problems that ail us. I don't believe the economy can fix the problems that ail us. I, I think it's the gospel. I, as a pastor, I really believe the gospel in people's hearts can change things, and so... You have a chapter in your book called They Told Me I Had to Take Jesus Out of My Speech. That's, that's really what we're talking about. You, the gospel, the, th- the very thing that will bring hope is almost being pushed into a corner and tried to be pushed out. I, I read a chapter uh, in the book where I, I talk about the church. What is the church's responsibility? Well, I believe that the, the church as Christians, we are called, uniquely called to speak truth to the culture at large. And unfortunately, over the past, it's really over the, a little more than a decade now, 
I think the church has been infected by the culture. And mm. um, there's this line, I say, we are called to be salt and light, but unfortunately, uh, we're on a salt-free diet and <laughs> or a sodium-free diet. And, and that is so true when you look at the modern church, and look how that played out. We got to see that play out when the, when the, the China Wuhan virus struck, and they told the churches, you've got to shut down your churches. Look at how many pastors were more than willing to just do exactly what the government said. Many of those churches are still closed mm. through the end of the year because they're following the, the edicts of the government and not the, you know, the commands of the Bible that we should worship together corporately. So um, got to pay attention. And if the body of Christ decides to sit this thing out, then we're going to lose the country. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, that's, that whole thing is an interesting conversation for us. You know, I mean, as a pastor, our, our first approach was, Hey, we want, we, we shut down for that first brief time. It was a six week period when, Hey, we're going to flatten the curve. We're going to get this thing. And to support our governor and our president and stuff, we said, we're going to do this in support. But then when it was like, and, and I got to tell you, Todd, thank God we live in Texas. I mean, you know, Baron and I and our, our fellowship here, we've got a governor who's really been fighting to keep, you know, church as an essential service. And so we've really, we've been given permission and even encouraged to be open. And so back in May, and we, you know, again, we have an unfair advantage. We have a big open air amphitheater. So we were meeting outside in nice weather, wonderful through the month of May and just kind of getting back in this thing. But it's like, it's like, I, I feel like you're right. What started as a, well, we're going to help flatten the curve. And now it's like this ongoing thing. And is the information accurate? You know, and it, that's another part of the First Amendment that I think we need to look at. The information we're getting, I think a lot of these pastors are making decisions based on very weighted and flawed information. The The First Amendment is freedom of the press. I mean, when we understand how, what a dishonest story we're sometimes getting from the press how does a leader make decisions? Because it, I really think, you know, one of the things we talked about in a podcast a few few months ago was was media reform. We'd oh, love yeah. to see the media absolutely be brought to, to task. And and I think, guys, there is so much, um, I don't want to say blame to go around, but we've got a lot of fixing up to do. There are a lot of things that are broken. And I think the press, uh, which is known as uh, the fourth estate, has a responsibility uh, to report, and uh, and again, the opinionators can opine, but the reporters should be able to report. But again, this is it, it all. It all ties in together. Where is all of this going? Well, I just I sincerely believe that this is all part of an effort to steer the country towards a path of embracing socialism. And I, in my last book, uh, the Deplorables Guide to Making America Great Again, I. I, I put out this um, this idea that maybe the bigger story wasn't that Donald Trump got elected, but it was going to be the rise of socialism within the Democrat Party, mm. and and we we saw that play out. And again, it's not prophetic; it's just you know reading the culture, you know studying uh, where things are going politically, and understanding that in a few more years, a few more election cycles, the AOCs of the Democrat Party will be the mainstream of the party. Yeah, and, and that's that's a 
difficult thing to even fathom. Why do you think, I mean, you deal with influencers, you get to talk to people who maybe the average guy doesn't get to. Why are people swallowing the socialism thing? What do you think is the appeal for people when it's so patently proven to be ineffective at governing or at yielding liberty and freedom for people? Why, why do you think, what's the appeal? Well, I, I think it really is about the dumbing down of society and you know, and, and, and let me let me explain what I mean by that. First of all, within the public school system, where instead of having the honors classes and having those advanced classes, now many teachers are, are being told to teach to the lowest common denominator in the class. So there's not any aspiration. You just want to be like everybody wants to be equal. Or, you know, there's no, no one is striving to get that, uh, you know, that gold star anymore. And I think in a, in, in a way, when you look at, society now, a lot of kids have no idea what the Constitution is. They don't know what their constitutional rights are. I think that's intentional. Mm. And the reason I say that is because the leftists literally control academia from kindergarten all the way up to, you know, to, through the, uh, the college level. But beyond that, I think the greater issue is the, um, the illiteracy of the Bible within the church itself. You know, mm. Many churches yeah. have done away with Sunday school they're doing the small group Bible study. And look, I have nothing against a Bible study, but the reality is America and American Christians don't need five-point self-help sermons. They need to understand the Word of God, and that's what the American Christians need to be studying. Mm. And, and that's a big problem. So a lot of Christians don't understand their faith, and as a result of that, yeah. we have seen concepts like social justice and critical race theory creep into the church. And it's turning the church down this leftist path. And where is that leftist path heading? It's heading directly to socialism. Yeah. Oh, and that, man, that you've been hearing you talk. I, I have shared many of the same things with, you know, and, I, and my job isn't to sit here and criticize other pastors, but I do think there's a time for us to call out the best in our brothers and sisters and for us to kind of call out our own in a, a sense of commitment. You know, it's popular now for Christians, and I think, unfortunately, far too often, Christians on the left, and they're very free just ripping on their brothers and sisters who kind of lean a little right, and they don't perceive they jump through the right hoops. They don't perceive they ha- spoke up on the, the correct issues. Um, but it's probably time for some of us to say, hey, look, the, the whole movement of kind of trying to dumb everything down so that the world will like us and they'll approve of us, that's not working. You know, It's just not creating what we'd hoped. There was there was a defining moment, and and, and again, the only reason I name names is this was in the media. This was so very well covered, but I think it really exposes the problem at hand. There was a discussion um, with uh, Lecrae, the famous Christian mm-hmm. rap artist, and Dan Cappy, uh, who is of course you know from Chick Fil A, yeah. and uh, they were having this conversation and um, about race relations. And again, this is all about the critical race theory. And, and Dan Campy, in you know, this act of sincerity, um, knelt down and washed, or was going to shine the shoes of, of Lecrae. And Lecrae made what everyone thought initially was a joke. And he said, well, I, you know, I'd rather have you know, Chick-fil-A stock, which was you know, pretty funny. And it, sort of, it was just an it was a weird moment. I think we can agree it was just kind of unusual. But I understand. I think we understand Dan Cappy's heart. Right. Well, a few days later, Lecrae was actually interviewed about that, and he went off on Dan Cappy and was very critical, and and he doubled down on this idea of where where's my Chick Fil A stuff, <laughs> and that ties into 
this idea of reparations, which yeah. is a huge, huge political issue now. But I'm telling you, these ideas are festering in the body of Christ. And if we are not careful, these issues will divide and destroy uh, these congregations. So you've got to be really aware, pay very close attention yeah. to, you know, to, to what's happening in your church. No, that's exactly right. Well, you know, you mentioned Dan Cathy. I, I am so frustrated. Again, I, I, maybe a broken record here, going back to the media coverage. You know, I, I see article after article, Dan Ca- Cathy, his, his, you know, criticism of the gay lifestyle, his criticism of homosexuality. I, I can't find a quote where Dan Cathy ever said anything about homosexuality. Dan Cathy said, I, I stand for biblical view of a family and a marriage. And that's because it never happened. No, and, and again, that goes back. Yeah, that goes back to the issue of having an, an honest press. I mean, but this is really about dishonesty. This is about intentionally misrepresenting people's opinions. And that's what they do. And, you know, they've come after me and I'm actually banned. This is sort of a funny story. Um, there are all sorts of horrible lies and half truths about me on this Wikipedia page. And so I went on the Wikipedia and I you know, corrected all these things. And the next, the next day they were reverted back again. So I did it again and the same thing happened. So finally I said, you know, um, you know, this is not right. You know, we need to make this, uh, we need to correct these issues. And if not, you know, I'll be happy to have my, my attorney get involved. <laughs> then they banned me. So now I'm banned from Wikipedia because I threatened to contact an attorney to correct this false information out there. And I'm not the only one. I mean, there are, you know, many other people out there. I'm just a small fish in all of that. But, but again, it goes back to this dishonesty that's out there. This idea that truth is not absolute is whatever you think, you know, your version of the truth. But as I write in Culture Jihad, the issue that has not been addressed, what happened when my truth conflicts with your truth? Whose truth takes precedent at that point? Right. Exactly right. This idea. And and that's the part that's really frustrating it because somehow – uh, this big kind of cultural wave has convinced everybody that to disagree with someone is to hate them. And it's, I can't just simply have a different view. We can't simply talk about the issues. Because if we could, if we could have an honest media where both views would be represented accurately or at least fairly and, and then honest discussions, I think a whole lot of people, like you mentioned, people who maybe are on the left, they're a little more liberal-leaning, but they're good-hearted people who they love God and they want the best for America. I think I think we would be able to have conversations. But the problem is we don't have a forum to have conversations anymore. No. And, and of course, you know, people blame Facebook and Twitter. Well, it's not Facebook and Twitter's fault. It's the humans writing things on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> I point out that you can tell a lot about a person's character in under 240 characters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Well, okay, so if we're here where we are, Todd, you know, you, you kind of have your feet in a couple different worlds. You, you're a media personality. You deal with a lot with politics, but you're also a, a person of faith. Um, what's the solution? How do we, as people of faith, who really, we, we love this country. We want the best for American people. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to see people experience life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Where, what's the best response? I think the best response is is found in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where those uh, those three uh, uh, Hebrew children had to make a decision: Do you obey God or do you obey the government? And they chose to obey God, and of course they realized that there was a penalty. You know, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But at the end of the day, they realized they were not alone in that fiery furnace and that God was able to pull them out of the fire. 
Mm. And we've seen that played out in so many religious liberty lawsuits around America, Mm. where people have taken a stand for their faith and have lost a job, they've been sued, and they've come out victorious. Some people haven't, you know, but they're, you know, that was the price they had to pay. But in the New Testament, there's another story. And this one doesn't get as much coverage in Sunday school or morning worship service. It's the story of Paul and Silas. Mm. Now, we all know what happened with Paul and Silas in the jail. They were singing. There was the earthquake. The, the shackles came down. The jailer got saved. But what happened after all of that? You see, Paul and Silas were told by the authorities, okay, we get it. Uh, you're free to go. Just head on out of town. And, and Paul said, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute here. You have, you have you know, maligned our character, smeared our good names. You're going to make this right. And I thought, you know what? That's an interesting concept. It's, mm. not, it's not enough just to say, okay, oops, our bad, just going. No, there is a biblical mandate to make things right. And I think that we need to be willing to take a stand and do so. I, I use a phrase in the book where it's supposed to be happy warriors, you know, because ultimately we're ambassadors for Christ. Yeah, that's good. But that doesn't mean that we should be, you know, pushovers. You know, we got to take a stand sometimes. Mm. President Reagan said it like this, and I think it's a brilliant quote, and it doesn't get a lot of attention, but he said that American success, it starts at the, at the breakfast table. Hmm. And this idea that, yeah, we want to win back our schools for Christ. We want to win our communities for Christ or but all of that is great, but that, that starts in the household first. And if you don't have your household in order, then nothing else is, is going to matter. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that seems to be a target of those who would love, love to tear this country down, the family. Because you're right, if families are strong and there's that strong family culture and kids are taught at home, they're much more resilient when they head out into, into the secular world. You know, and we want to be a part of the world around us. We don't want to withdraw. We don't. It's not some sort of kind of Amish or Puritan thing we want to withdraw. But there is that center. We we have to be salt and light. Those are the phrases Jesus used. And salt changes the flavor, and light changes the the visual of everything around it. Well, Todd, one more thing. But if if you if you had people here, okay, one get the book. You would say buy the book, Cultural Jihad: How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation. But one other thing that you would say to people: Hey, here's something you can do in a positive, proactive way to help make a difference today? What, what would you say to people? Well, I would encourage people to get a, get a pocket guide of the, of the Constitution of the United States. Learn your constitutional rights. Know what your rights are under, under the law. A lot of people don't understand um, you know, how government works. Well, you know what? That's a good starting point. And I always carry a pocket-sized copy of the Constitution around with me next to my Gideon's Bible. And uh, they're great companions to each other. That, that is awesome. I mean, I just the, the thought of your, you got the pocket constitution and your Gideon's Bible, you are ready, sir. Ready. <laughs> Amen. Well, Todd, thank you so much. This, uh, it really means a lot that you took some time with us. We genuinely appreciate it. We're very, very grateful. Thanks for Amen. being with us. Hey, thank you very much.